Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur, with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hello, everyone. AJ here again, the journeyman entrepreneur with another great episode of Beyond Eight Figures. Today's guest is joining us from the Dominican Republic, but he's originally from Poland. He's an accomplished leader and entrepreneur focused on online businesses and renewable energy, and is incredibly passionate about the emerging markets. He's also a best-selling author and has spent 10 years living in Africa. Many of you may know him as the African business guy. His real life goal is simply to leave the world in a slightly better shape than it was when he arrived. Not sure if I'll pronounce this 100% correctly. So let's welcome Marek Zimslowski. Hello, Marek. Great to have you on the show again. Last time you were on the show, this thing COVID was just starting. How have things been going for you? Oh my God, it really seems like we've been talking on a different planet last time, right? So many things have changed and so many things will still change. I believe I was in Spain uh, and everyone, that was the time when there was actually lack of toilet paper in the supermarket. So like no one knew what's going to happen because when you live in a city, you're, you're really two weeks away from people running on the streets with machetas because, you know, you just take away the electricity and food and we're, we're back in the, not even medieval times, we're back in the jungle. Uh, it, it was a very, very strange time. And now it's also strange in a way that we, we don't really know how this is going to affect us long term. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just made me now think of all the things that have changed because it is symbolic that we, we've spoken at the beginning and, and, and now we're here again. <laughs> and so last time you were on, one of the big things that stuck with me as I'm making a similar transition is that you had been focused on four to five year project, four to five year project, and you yeah. were looking to take on a big 10 year. So have you found the 10 year project yet? Yeah, actually I did. I don't think I was speaking too, with too much confidence about it last time because I was at the beginning. Um, and, and, I, and I think I did. For those who haven't been listening last episode between us, um, Basically, my life story is that I would be switching not only between companies, but also places I would live in, even even women I was with, and, and so on, which was a sign of my immaturity in a way. At some point, you realize that maybe there are certain personality traits which don't really change with age. And uh, for an entrepreneur, there are really two ways. You are either switching between companies because you like that, for example, in my case, early stage of a company growth, where you thrive on chaos, instead of instead of you know being in love in excel or you find a company or a sector where the change is constant within your organization you just switch positions within your organization within your sector because it's so so dynamically changing and um, um, i also you know realized that i'm getting older i looked back i've realized that i spent 15 years of my professional life in e-commerce and online business and i spent 10 years of my life almost in africa 
And at some point I've realized that I'm starting to be this Africa guy, you know, all those investors from Europe, entrepreneurs from Europe, from my country, from Poland, they would just, just label me as the Africa guy, which is cool if you really want to focus on Africa, but not so cool if you want to keep growing. And I realized that the moment you stop learning, you start getting old. So I've decided to make this big personal leap of faith, really, where I have moved my base to Dominican Republic because my girlfriend is Dominican. I'm learning intensively Spanish. Geographically, this is a totally new world for me because I've never set foot here before. No one speaks really English here that well. So I have to get out of my comfort zone. And uh, when it comes to business side, I have invested heavily and really focused most of my time while still taking care of my African operations. But that's a different story. But I've moved my focus and my investments into solar business. And that is so new for me on so many levels, because on one, this is the first business in my life, in my entire life, that I'm dealing with something physical that we produce, that people can touch and live under. Because all my life was first financial product. You would just sell insurance, investment stocks. It's all virtual, really. Uh, And then we would enter the software space. And this is the first time when this is something physical. And the amount of challenges and the learning curve for me I've learned more in the last six months than I've learned probably in the last five years. And also the solar industry for me is um, is, a, is an area that is growing especially rapidly in, in more developed markets like states, Europe, because of stimulus plans and the society being slightly more educated and more willing to go solar. And again, that's getting for me out of comfort zone because for someone that has been doing business for more than nine years, almost then in Africa only, Again, I'm learning those markets from scratch again. So for me, it was like a rejuvenation on on both sides, private life, personal life, geography, language, sector. uh, And in order to achieve anything, (laughs) you want to stick in this for for 10 years, which is the the plan. So I've, I've made that leap of faith. It's too soon to say whether this was a good decision or not. I can definitely tell you that it makes me happy and and excited again. Uh, So even even looking at that, that's already a, a good sign. Yeah. Can I, you know, I know in the last episode, you kind of talked about looking into that, but as, you know, as a journeyman entrepreneur, cause I've, I've had these ups and downs, I've sold a few companies in the low mid seven figures, yeah. but I never have the rocket um, or as I call it, the FU. Um, I find it always fun. And I found it interesting looking at your background and looking at and then listening to you because there are lots of great ideas out there. And I run lots of experiments and lots of things, but what kind of made this transition for you to make a longer term commitment? Or was it something you were playing with and then all of a sudden started sticking? Or was this something you started off with the plan like, I'm going to commit and I'm going to find it. How did that, or how did solar become that deeper dive? Because you're passionate about it. I mean, you really are just diving into it now. And as an entrepreneur, look at my next thing. This is important. It took me some time to realize that when you, as an investor and entrepreneur, when you're building your short list, or like, what are all those points that you need to check in order to build something? successful call that gives you not only joy, but also money and, and, and so on and so on. So what are those things which are needed? And, and obviously the sector needs to be growing. You have to have a nice team and all those like classic terms, 
But then I have come to the realization that at the end of the day, unless you are one one in a million case, you can only build anything significantly big and something that makes any significant impact if you stick to it for at least five to 10 years. It just came out of mathematics. I mean, even, even businesses which we consider as overnight successes, like Instagram purchase by Facebook or Slack, uh, Slack purchase by Salesforce, if I remember correctly, and so on and so on. When you dig deeper, these were actually a, a much longer project that everyone else might think they just broke into the mainstream. So it's really down to sticking for a couple of years. Or they had an underlying company that they moved into. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. Sorry. Yeah. Sometimes you have to stick to one company. Maybe the business changed because you pivot or something, but stick to the same team for a while and and into the one project without this, it's just not going to happen. But also just not to take all the credit. I had, uh, thanks to my book that I wrote, one of the cool things of my book is that it's the best business card I could ever had. And uh, people that I would always look up to, I'm talking about those like billionaires being 60 years old that I would never thought I could have access to because I'm just this you know, new generation type of a, uh, uh, entrepreneur coming from online space, they would reach out to me because they wrote my book and they would invite me for uh, for meetings for a coffee because you know everyone wants to talk to a book author, which was great for me. And I remember that one conversation with someone I I I have a lot a lot of respect to, fifty year old entrepreneur. He has built three online travel agencies in a row, and each of those online travel agencies has become a multi-million dollar business. He would just build one, sell sell to one of those big guys like Booking.com or Expedia, and he would do it in three regions, first in Europe, then in Asia, and then in Africa. And then he, he read my book, he read my story, and he's like, while you're young and you're enjoying this, this, uh, this interest, this attention, he used the example of actually a man that has access to many women. Like you're going to end up being waking up next to a woman. You don't even remember being 50 and you're, you're not handsome anymore. And you're most likely going to have all the STDs and HIV. If at some point you don't commit because it's just so easy to switch. Right. And you're enjoying that switch. And it's the and that as uh, misogynistic as it may sound and sexist, that really got to me because it's the same thing with business. Once you are on certain level of attention, like there's so many deals coming to you. People want to do business with you because you've made something nice. Then it's just a snowball effect. And if you don't stick to one thing and every business after a year or two becomes less sexy because you're just tired, the honeymoon is over. It's just so easy to switch to another businesses and you're all, and you're going to be stuck in that trap of, of that early excitement because you just, you just go after that excitement. And if you want to build something significantly big, um, statistically, it's going to take way more than five years. So that was that realization that, and that one very important conversation with someone I really respect <laughs> that made that build use this metaphor that couldn't be more on point. Very cool. <laughs> So you, you set out with this idea that you were going to find a commitment. How did it become the solar? How did solar become that commitment? Like in many things in life, that choice of solar makes sense from hindsight. And there was also a, a lot of luck involved. 
But in my personal case, I have decided to go into solar because of the team that I was able to invest in. Again, it's going to sound cheesy or it's going to sound as if my ego is off, off, off the roof. But there are two founders in this business which I can learn so much from because we are so much different. So the founder of this business actually is one of the co-founders of Delivery Hero, so an amazing logistics startup from uh, from Europe, yeah, and and a very like um, amazing manager and a visionary. I'm more of an action guy, and and the other co-founder, which he was able to invite. Uh, is is uh, is like a Polish internet legend, a guy that has built one of first Polish internet service providers, and then he was a uh, one of the first Google senior managers for the Central Eastern Europe re- regions. So again, coming from that that network, and I was like, in order to be able to work with those two guys, doesn't matter what they're doing, I would probably be very very interested in investing. But then you look you looked deeper into solar. Uh, and in solar, I was able to find what I found in Africa. And again, that might sound cheesy for some people, or I've been accused of romanticizing business, but I don't care. I still believe in it. Um, what I loved about doing business in Africa is that CS, CSR was like embedded in the business. Like you're launching a new business, you're giving employment to people. Uh, there's not too many online companies they could be employed by. So you're just bringing that transfer of knowledge and so on and, and capital instead of building another application for uh, millennials. What I see positive in the solar business is you are being part of the, let's just say, humanity uh, humanity uh, approach to slow down the climate change. Uh, there are many things which we still do wrong, but at least it, it's going to the right direction. So any carbon footprint decrease is a nice way to quantify your positive result on the on the planet earth in a way so for me i like that there's money because market is obviously growing there's many technology changes which makes the solar business finally uh you know it makes economic sense it didn't 10 years ago now it does i believe but that's it that was the that's just the money talking but i like the quantification of your positive effect on the world uh, and that i really liked and then COVID happened and speaking only from a purely opportunistic uh, position, you see that just like after Second World War, when Marshall Plan was deployed in Europe and all the money went into building highways, infrastructure, and that really kicked off the economy, it seems like the the, the universal agreement between the governments is that the post-COVID stimulus plan will be about the climate change. And then Joe Biden won the election, which was also important. Uh, and, and both in European Union and looks like in the US, there will be a lot of government incentives to go into climate change um, solutions, which make this market even more interesting in the next years to come. So for me, those were those three aspects. The team, uh, I can really learn from those guys. The sector uh, and that quantification of the something more than the money, but also the positive result. And those three things were the, the checkpoint for me. Once you found this team, you, know, you found these two people, you started talking to them. What did you find as being the most interesting part about getting involved with them to make this happen? The most interesting part for me was, was literally the fact that everything was new for me. Like I had to learn the manufacturing process 
of a solar panel. Which is interesting is that without you know giving you too much boring details about the company, what we're doing is we're essentially we're building a solar roof. So it's not a solar panel, it's not a roof, it's a two-in-one solution. Yeah. So uh, in, on, on one side, you have to learn about the engineering of, of a roof people live under. <laughs> and then you also want to learn about the engineering of, of essentially production of power from photons. <laughs> uh, so it, the, the, the fact that for the first couple months, I was just sitting in the books and signing up to different online courses and talking to engineers and trying to understand the technology, uh, that itself was interesting. Uh, and, and that's really what got me, uh, what got me into it. And, and I wish anyone at this stage in life, you know, like 35, I'm, I'm 34, or even later, to, to be able to acquire for business purposes such a huge amount of knowledge. I think that's a, that was a, that was a cool thing to do. You know? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, as an entrepreneur, I think the best part of what we do is Everyone's talking about lifelong learning and all this. Being an entrepreneur, you always have to learn. And it seems like that really, that's a big part of your journey as an entrepreneur. That's very important to you. It started to be uh, with that particular move because in Africa, I have realized that I have entered this trap of comfort. You know, I've become this, this, European guy in Africa that is into online business. So it was very easy for me to, every new business was easier for me to launch as, lo- as long as I was sticking into my niche, which is e-commerce, marketplace, performance marketing, logistics platforms, and so on, everything around, around, around online business really. So I would get, I would open one company because a company from Europe wanted to expand into Africa. Obviously they would prefer to do it with a local player. Uh, like a joint venture, and if it was even easier for them to do it with a guy from Europe because it's a you know better level of understanding. Everyone prefers to do business with someone similar to you, right? I had that advantage, and I was on the on on, on the continent, so I got myself into this trap of comfort that the deals would be just coming to me. I could see a relatively easy money for an entrepreneur. We, if we launch the business, establish it, build some operations. Two years, I can do an exit, move to another business. It was becoming easier and easier. And at the same time, I have become less and less ambitious and, and more and more lazy to, to a certain extent. So I wasn't really passionate about learning itself. I just realized at some point that if this continues, I'm losing my edge because every tool that not being used, every muscle not being used starts degrading. So that was really, it came out of my internal fear of, losing everything that made me successful in the first place. So I was like, I got to, I got to wake up. <laughs> uh, and uh, at the same time, uh, last couple of years, I've really gotten myself into longevity, you know, healthy lifestyle, because when you turn 30, you start really caring about that. <laughs> Wait till you get to uh, 50. It's fun. <laughs> oh, it's even better. Yeah, pr- yeah. yeah probably. Yes. <laughs> it's easier. And, uh, <laughs> and, and all those learnings that I was, I was acquiring by, you know, learning more about my body and what are the processes you have to stick to in order to just live longer or, or die later or start getting old later, whatever, depending on how you look at it. I've seen those, the, the possible applications into business world. And, and that was my understanding. Like my skills are like a muscle that I stopped using. And if I 
don't keep myself, don't keep getting out of a comfort zone, um, I will just stop. Uh, I will start losing that that business muscle, uh, which made me successful in the first place. And uh, and 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 it happened out of fear. <laughs> no, I that really resonates, and I think a lot of our listeners would agree because so often the noise about being an entrepreneur and all this is about creating and selling. You know, start something up and do all the craziness and then sell. Da-da. But it is really about this putting the practice in, doing the work. You know, you can, there's a gazillion different, you know, concepts, you know, so all the different things. But the reality is it's like, if you put in the work, if you put the learning in and you take these steps and you do it, you you get better and you keep, I don't even know if it's better, but you keep in the game, you keep involved. And I, I really love hearing because it's like, you're doing I think a lot of us entrepreneurs get stuck into niches or structures. You're doing some really, I am very, very interested in your solar company because of looking at it and looking at the things I've been interested in, the off the grid applications, the, you know, the environmental benefit. It's like, because you've had this dedication to improving your journey as an entrepreneur, you're all cooler thing you're doing a, you're doing something that's very cool and that's cool as you know intellectual business you know type of a concept do you think that because you are dedicating yourself to this more longer term that you are finding more interesting aspects for you to be an entrepreneur about um, the, the, the long-term effect is uh, should be um an indicator that you're going to have a bigger success. What I see here as a chance to make interesting things is that switch. Uh, because I bring learnings from other sectors to very, very unusual sectors. Um, we are we are a, an engineering company that build, essentially build roof and produce towers, but it's co-founded by people coming from the sector of the biggest disruptors in the last two decades right and and the understanding of uh of of building a brand the understanding of growth 10x instead of 1.5x uh that that pressure on economy of scale uh, everything that all the learnings that come from building software and then scaling it up can be very interesting learnings for uh, for a roof company or from uh, from a, for, for for a solar company, and I believe that this is the value that we are bringing into the game because we we looked at the market and we've realized that there are so many companies that are bigger than what we do. It's going to be hard to compete with the Chinese in production of solar cells. But what are the things that we we are better at that that other guys don't necessarily understand. And we, we realized, okay, they don't understand that well how it is to build a big brand, a sexy brand. How do you build a sexy brand in the roof business? Because, I mean, the better your roof is, the faster that your client will forget about you, right? <laughs> That's the whole point. So how do you build a brand in, in a business of forgetting? Um, then obviously the digital marketing being the, the most obvious channel for us here, but not so obvious for, for engineering companies. And, and then... And then that ability to scale businesses faster, because 
if you come from a startup world, like if you're in two countries now and you're not going to five countries more the next year, then you're growing slow. <laughs> and, and, and that mindset, that approach, that finding those 10x solutions is, uh, is very valuable. I think that mindset is very valuable when you enter those, I would say, old school in a way sectors. Yeah, because I, we've been building groups for since, since we are, we're, we're on this planet. Yeah. I'm curious, when you look at roofs in particular and these solar roofs that you're designing, why did you end up or why did they end up choosing the two-in-one design? And was there any really interesting technical complication that you learned about when you had to build a roof into your solar panel or vice versa? That's a, that's a very good question. So in a way, we're like Apple, but also in a way, we're like Microsoft. So stay with me. <laughs> this two-in-one roof as a product is for us what Macintosh was for Apple in the 80s. That's our approach because it's really the first block in the whole ecosystem of things to come car chargers, electric vehicles, batteries. Then you're going to need a software that really manages the the, the the production, the consumption, and the trade of power between people. Because really, a new 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 market is being built. No one really pays attention to it. You you used to have a regulated business. Only nation-owned comp, uh, companies could produce power, and now every person could produce its own power, and someone has to manage it. So there's, there's a big democratization of power production happening in the world, and that's the social effect. So this is why we like Apple, because this is just the first the first block. We just acquired a software company, and we're already into this the virtual power plant software business as well. And then I'm saying that we are like Microsoft, because unlike Tesla, that builds their own hardware, that builds their own software, they also builds their own cars, they want to own the ecosystem, we're going to be like Microsoft with an open open ecosystem that will allow other producers, both software and hardware solutions to integrate. So that, that's like the 10-year the, the plan. But coming back to what's happening now, the two-in-one roofs being our, our really, uh, I would call it the cash cow, yeah, because that's what everyone really loves now. Well, first of all, the, the economics really speak for themselves because uh, having a two-in-one roof, when you're building a new house, Two-in-one roof is cheaper than first building a roof and then putting solar panels on top of it. It's cheaper and, it, and, it's, and it also looks nicer, as you've seen on the designs. And it's better for the environment simply because we lose less parts. Because we use solar cells, we use glass, we use wood. Uh, but the roof itself is smaller than the roof plus solar panels construction. And since because we, you use less resources, the total carbon footprint is even lower. But the challenge is also very interesting. And it's, it has a lot to do with people's psychology. Because we treat the roof like, uh, you know, the, the turtles. The, the turtles have their, their own like uh, roof they always walk with. And we want to have this roof that looks strong, look, looks tough, looks heavy that will protect us if someone shoots at our house, right? You want to have that sense of feeling from whatever is going to come at you in the night. Well, the construction of the roof that we produce has similar capabilities in terms of protection, protecting you from winds, from snow, and so on. But the layers are different. The most external layer is not the strongest one because you want the solar cells that produce the power are on the 
on the ex, you know, on the outside, because you don't want to cover them. They want to be exposed to sun. So that protection layer that protects you really like from some very bad things happening. I'm talking about to, you know, those halloweens are the level below. And, and that was the, uh, the mindset we had to challenge with, because imagine uh, that, that turtle from my example, having a little bit of like a, like a mushy, mushy layer on top of that big, uh, half, uh, you know, protection. And it, it wouldn't look that hard, right? Because why is it so, so, uh, so soft? Is it really able to protect it? Because we wouldn't know that there's this thick layer that is really protects you below. And, uh, and that's the mindset that we had to change. Hey, it, it might not look that stable on the outside simply because the layers are being built different, but it still has all the effects. It's like with new technology cars, right? The external layer is so soft. It's like a gum sometimes. You can, you can bend it with your, uh, with your finger. Uh, it's not a tank, uh, the, the new technology car, but when it comes to tests of uh, crashes, they still protect you way better than those cars from the 90s that seemed to look way uh, safer. Yeah? So that was the challenge, which we, which we totally didn't uh, think about. Yeah? One of the things that I get excited about following solar technology and kind of building my own, yeah, you're building a company and I'm, I have a couple of solar kits. So, you know, I find this really kind of funny, but Michael and I have talked about this in some of our gap, the cost of electricity for solar and the battery power. And then also the software, which I think is worth discussing also your software. They're getting to the point where it's not just getting to parity, but we're getting to near infinite electrical capability soon. I think in the next five, you know, in five years, the idea is we're going to have almost infinite ability to have electricity. So from this age of like saving electricity, you know, that we all grew up with to like, well, what do you want to use? Because, you know, your roof is going to be on the top of our houses. We're going to be pulling down tons. You know, we'll have almost more electricity than we can use. Does that change what our lives do? So the concept of having these, you know, energy inefficient, yes, we still have to worry about secondary environmental impacts, but then all of a sudden it's not about saving electricity to save the planet. It's about using this electrical capability. Yeah. Doing more, not doing less. That's what I find, you know, your company is going to be at the forefront of something like that. Yeah. Um, that's another mindset challenge we had, for example, in countries like um, like Poland or or Eastern Europe, where that that feeling that the electric cars are coming and everything will become electric and green, it's not that obvious, right? Poland is one of the biggest coal producers uh, still in Europe. Like, I think ninety percent of the coal that is used for power is spent in Europe. I'm talking about the Europe coal, and we we've, we've expanded to Poland because the founders are Polish, although the company started in Sweden, Poland was on our expansion list because we figured if we can break through in Poland, that is really coal-based country, everything else should be even easier. So there are a couple of things here. Um, first of all, when clients estimate how much power they need, they underestimate by far when it comes to how much energy they will use in the next years to come simply because they don't see uh, that that simple change of uh, 
gasoline-powered cars to even hybrid plug-in cars or electric cars, that's going to increase their production like fivefold, <laughs> their, their need to, uh, for power fivefold, which is a great thing because as long as you produce the power on your own, the savings from the gasoline themselves will pay back the whole investment in the solar in a couple of months, right? Um, but that's what we've noticed, that people would buy only a couple of panels uh, because they think, okay, that's all I'm going to need. So, and our roofs, you know, you build roof once. So you want to convince them like you need way more and you don't want to take down the roof later and, and then add panels because then it's going to be ugly. So we needed to build that long-term estimation of power production. But then you still want to produce more than the client needs. And it doesn't even have to do with how much power you produce in total, but the fact that you produce most of the power during the day, you spend it most in the night. And uh, what do you want to do with that power production during the day if you don't have a battery, right? So you want to have a money-making system on top of it that will allow you to uh, monetize your production. And here we're very still limited to what the government allows you to, because on one extreme, you have countries like Sweden, where basically for every kilowatt, you get cash on your account. It's so simple. So it's like a no-brainer. Everyone makes solar roofs. And then you have countries like uh, Poland or South Africa where uh, you either can't produce more than you use yourself, so you can only give it back, to give it to the net grid to take it back in the evening, and they're still going to charge you for that, for that, you know, the whole process. So th this is really limited by the, uh, by the government if you just want to make, uh, make money out of it. But... Looking at how much power average industrial company is needing, I'm talking about some simple workshops, you know, like IKEA shops, supermarkets. I mean, even if we put roofs on top of all the individual clients' houses, I mean, there are businesses which will take happily all that power as long as the government allows you to democratize the power production because that's the big... Uh, big change happening. And funny thing here is that one of our investors is a is an investment fund where the limited partner is a big nationwide energy company. So we have access to the backdoor conversations of the senior management. And they're all saying the same. Guys, like, we know the change is coming. We just cannot allow this to happen too rapidly because it's going to destroy our business. So we have to open the door slowly and also be able to control the process and and take advantage of the what's new to come it's like you're, you're in the solar business because you wanted to make some money and and maybe help the climate and in the end you're ending up in, in political conversations you know because it's so politicized yeah yeah i mean it's it's funny because i live in southern spain which is the land of sun yeah it's raining today and so little panels uh, yeah <laughs> They're not. I mean, up until a year ago, you were charged, the power company charged you for the electricity you generated for your solar power because of the bureaucracy and, you know, all that. And it was just like, yeah, they talk about the environment and you're like, but look, <laughs> you have yeah. the sun. <laughs> Spain is a, is a great example of, uh, of government doing this the wrong way because there's been a big solar push a couple of years ago. And then they, the technology was not there because 10 years ago, the just unit economics didn't stick. Uh, now we, we have the, you know, the, the 
cost of producing one kilowatt has gone down significantly. The batteries are still expensive, but it's also getting better. Uh, Spain is a perfect country to grow, right? Very, uh, very expensive electricity in comparison to other uh, European countries. Almost non-existent nuclear power plants, unlike France. And no, no solar panels because the government was just blocking it. And we hope that there will be a lot of changes. You know, the first thing that I did, because I lived in Spain for two years, first thing that I did is I opened a local bank account and I invested in the free stocks on Spanish stock exchange that were into solar. I'm like, <laughs> doesn't matter what's the price. I know nothing about these companies. I'm putting my money there because something has to happen in this country. Yeah? <laughs> is there another trend, since we're talking about solar and thing, is there another trend or you know, maybe a deeper trend in this that you're really excited about, you know, for the business that you're looking at that you want to take more advantage of or? Electric vehicles, uh, by far. Uh, It's a natural synergy. I mean, look at Ford Model T. The success of Ford Model T was directly linked to the growth of the uh, gasoline stations owned by Standard Oil, right? And... uh, Electric vehicles is what drives the lifestyle. It's what makes the business sexy. Uh, I mean, let's address the elephant in the roof, Tesla, Tesla roofs uh, and and Tesla, which we hope to give them a big headache (laughs) in the years to come. When you listen to what Musk is saying, it's like, yeah, the cars is the sexy business. The demand is off the roof, but the real money, the, the real focus is is in the in the power production business and and the cars is just the way to enter the door and absolutely everyone needs electric vehicles to be powered by by clean energy source because your car is only as clean as the source you uh, as the source you're using and we what we are really doing is we are partnering with uh with manufacturers of electric cars because Tesla can't work with them because Tesla has both products, but we can. So in, uh, in, in Central Eastern Europe, for example, we have a partnership with the whole Volkswagen group. So uh, Porsche, Volkswagen, uh, Audi, and Skoda, they're rolling out, I think, in total 15 new electric models this year only. And obviously, there's an absolute, there's an absolute synergy. You want to, If you drive an electric car, you want to produce your own power and so on. So we promote their products, they promote our products, and uh, we, we really need each other. Yeah, that's, that's how we look at it. Now, that's, that is very cool because that makes you very much the Microsoft model of you know, providing that base layer, that capability layer for yeah. these people who have huge marketing budgets for you to piggyback on. And, and as a startup, uh, we, we had two challenges. We are a startup and we're into boring business. So how do we do our brand recognizable? and uh, and sexy and i mean there's no better than than associate yourself with with great uh, 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 electric uh, with uh, you know automotive brands we've done some studies and and focus groups and uh, in in certain countries i'm talking about first world countries because uh, solar is also needed in africa and and other regions but for totally different reasons that's a totally different conversation right because there's there's no other option really uh, and people have no power at all if it wasn't for solar. There is a problem that ecology has become considered as something too extreme and uncomfortable. When you say ecological living, people would say you're hugging the trees, you're, you're peeing in the shower, 
to save water. And, and you have to go to the supermarket with your own bag and choose the old apples because otherwise they will get wasted. Yeah? It, it all sounds like not comfortable life and people want to have a comfortable life. And the reason why first electric vehicle from Porsche was a Taycan, which was always compared to 911, is because it was communicating to the market, you can have an ecological lifestyle without compromising on the luxury, on the comfort, and on the emotions. And, and I believe that this is the story we want to talk. And I, having this boring startup building roofs in, uh, that no one knows, being able to communicate that story and, and, and associating my small brand next to a Porsche, you can imagine how far it, it, it takes me f- from the marketing perspective. Yeah? Just the amount of ways that this gets to be fun yeah, I mean, it already is fun, but as you're going and moving, I mean, I'm already, yeah, I'm thinking of moving back to the States this summer and I'm already like, on, I'm on your website, I'm filling out the form for the American, like, okay, what do I need to do if I buy a house? And what's the process? It's like, this is cool. I mean, you're putting yourself in a position that if you can ride this initial wave, this transition wave that's happening, that your ability to be involved in the power plant aspect that, you know, uh, distributed grid, that's going to be off the roof for everything where you are. I mean, you want to also, what made, what made other businesses successful, like for example, uh, one of the businesses I was involved in was called Glovo, which is like, uh, let's just say Uber Eats, but not only food, but also everything. That what made Glovo different is that you can use the, you use Glovo in Spain, obviously, right there from Barcelona. One of the reasons why I moved to Spain. Um, so they, they become the king of the category of delivering everything from anywhere to anywhere. Uh, although the category was small itself, you become a king and you ride the wave. That's the bottom of the app. The app is the supermarket, the stores, and then anything. Yeah. Anything, yeah, which is a very powerful marketing tool because it also helps to build loyalty of the clients. Also, uh, to, to comment on your, Michael, your question, why two-in-one roofs is that there's no leader in the category. Maybe the category itself is super small, but then you're able to control the category and, and grow with it and, uh, and then jump from one category to another. It's easier to jump from one category to another, if you were the king of the first one. <laughs> and this, which is always, uh, it's like Facebook started with uh, universities, right? Only. Another uh, acquisition which actually is happening is, uh, uh, it's not public yet, but we're, we're going to be most likely acquiring a company that kind of delivers and builds houses for you in an e-commerce model. So you like, there's, there's a limited choice of houses. So like a modular build? Exactly. Yeah. But again, the problem with modular houses is that they consider as low quality and we, we wanted to, it's, it's as high quality and it's not much cheap, but you have the highest quality, although it can be delivered and installed on your land in three months, like from clicking today to moving in with interior and all the furniture already chosen earlier uh, uh, in three months, which is not happening unless you buy a house from a secondary market. Yeah. But the reason why I'm saying this is because we are, again, trying to create a category of active houses. You know, passive house is a house that produces almost no energy because you're not losing the warmth in the winter and so on. An active house is a house that produces more energy that you need (laughs) because you have that uh, power producing element and now you can sell it later. Again, almost non-existent category, which is easier to grab and now you can build from. So I want to rewind a bit. 
because I know you brought and the reason you one of the reasons you chose this company was the heavy hitters that you got to work with. How much of this insight came from them and how much did you develop working with them? I'm responsible for marketing uh, and global expansion at Sunroof. And most of the things when we talk about um, the partnership with brands, making our business that is usually forgettable, uh, making it sexy because of the partnership, that lifestyle approach, an analysis of what things we have to hit in order to grow, that's something that I kind of brought into the table with, with the team that I've built. I think what Lech, which is the main founder, he put that, you know, thought in our head is like how to become a king of the category and just use the product that we have now that is growing so fast and gives us the cash flow, which is the two in one solutions. Like, okay, but where do we want to be in 10 years from now? Like, if this is Macintosh for us, then what is our iOS? What is our iPhone? What is our iPod? That thinking was was there. And it was like, I thought I was like, I thought I'm ambitious. <laughs> but when when Lehu showed me like the things that we can do together, I was like, okay, definitely. Um, I'm not the smartest person, not the most ambitious person in the room anymore. And that was, uh, that was just cool. Yeah. That's what Lehu definitely brought to the table. And Rafa, which is the the, the ex-Google guy, I mean, I he built two companies with a valuation of $100 million, and I think both of them he built under two years. Uh, I, I don't want to, uh, I don't know, remember the details now, but the growth was extreme. Like one, one business he's built from zero to 800 people in 18 months, which is why then he later worked in Google because Google was working, was, built, was growing like tenfold, right, year by year. And... The skill set of all the operational tools and the mindset, not to totally get destroyed when you want to grow so fast. It was for me an amazing, amazing value and, and a mind blowing that you can actually grow so fast while still being able to, you know, you, you grow fast, you, you cut the trees in the forest, but just after the forest, there's this team of engineers that are just building the structures or even better example like when you're digging uh, holes under the earth yeah like the first machine actually makes the hole but then you quickly have to build the construction so that the earth doesn't fall down after you behind you and and that's what rafa brought to the table that operational excellence in in building structures so it doesn't fall down when you grow too fast and uh that was that was that was amazing, uh, which which is not something that was ever in my strengths or skills. Because of your past efforts, you know, and what you learned, and what you, you know, as I always say, what you got beat up over to get to where you are. Do you think that got you to a higher layer to then work with these people who are exciting you so much to you know partner with them? Yes. Well, definitely, I had to achieve what I had achieved in order for them to consider even inviting me to the business. I do consider Lafo and Lehu more successful than me and more experienced even more than me. So that definitely, you know, what brought me here is what made, made them interested in me. But then I had to understand what I'm lacking uh, and I had to understand what I'm really good at and what I want to focus on. 
there, there are two schools, I guess, when it comes to business and also personal development. One says, focus on your weaknesses to become a more versatile manager, entrepreneur, and so on. And the other school is just double down on your strengths and, and hire people which are, you know, feeding your holes. What had to happen in my head as an entrepreneur is to realize what my strengths are and, and, and have that conviction, I'm, I'm doubling down on my strengths, which in my case is expansion, fast growth, operations on the field, uh, and then that certain skill set when it comes to marketing and business development. So I'm, I'm, I'm really more of a people guy, more of an action guy. While I, I'm probably lacking on the vision side, I am probably lacking on the operational excellence, and I'm definitely allergic to Excel. So be, having that understanding and, and that willing to double down on strengths and, and then having enough maturity and humility to work with people better than you and, and not be the main guy because I'm not the CEO and the main founder, right? I'm the, I'm the co-founder and I'm the, the second level of command in a way. That also requires a certain level of maturity and humility, I believe, which I would, didn't have a couple of years ago. You want to be a king of your own castle, even if your castle is your sandbox, yeah? The phrase I, is better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, better, uh, I have a similar better a king of the village than a minister in Rome, you know? Yeah, that is because I've seen that and I find it really impressive you've made that jump because I've always seen that as being very, very difficult for me partially ego, but also, you know, I think you get so used to working in your own framework that when you meet people who are at a different layer to kind of change your own mental framework to go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can to make them better or not even them make that idea better. I think that is a really, that's something that many entrepreneurs don't even consider or think about because they're just so, so focused on wanting to have their own personal freedom or their own personal environment. That's cool. Definitely a sign of your growth there. I'm a big fan of research around creativity. And the one, the big leap that's always stuck with me around that is that creativity comes from the constraints you put around your work. And so as an entrepreneur, at some point, you need the constraints placed around you when you're playing in that sandbox for so long, I think. And you lose the ability to grow because to, to take the sandbox example, the sandbox becomes an endless desert when there's no walls to contain the sand. Is it something similar to what Jocko Willick, I think, has been saying that like, you, you need the discipline to really feel free, right? <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to get stuck by all, the, all those net endless possibilities, which kind of have a, an absolute, the opposite effect. Yeah? <laughs> exactly. The paradox of choice. How do you deal with keeping yourself focused now that you're on this path? You know, you've had these opportunities. You, you rose up in, you know, stature. So people, as you, were, you mentioned earlier, you, you needed to make sure you weren't, getting too, you weren't getting involved in too many things that were coming in. Your inbound was very high. Mm-hmm. How do you keep yourself focused now on 
building this dream of yours? I think there are two aspects here is how to keep yourself productive, efficient, and then how to keep yourself on the right priorities. I try to manage my task properly, manage my energy level. I know already whether I'm a morning person or an evening one. So I would always plan my tasks accordingly to my energy levels and all those other things, which you have a freedom to plan once you're already at a certain level, right? I mean, I've done through the grinding. I've been a bartender working in, you know, free shifts and, and now I, I have the freedom to plan my day the way I want it. And that's super important while I know that not everyone can afford it because it just comes later in life. But that's super important. And also in a way unfair, right? <laughs> because I mean, the further you are, the easier it is to achieve uh, even more. But then when it comes to keep myself focused on the right things, I don't have any rocket science on uh, rocket science solution here. Almost every night, I just close everything and I look at, okay, what has been done and am I really going in the right way? I'm just doing this summary in a way. Uh, where, where really are we? Like Usually people do it at the end of the year. Okay, what has happened in a year? Uh, what are my plans for 2021? I do this almost every day. Like, has whatever I've done today pushed me in any way into what I really have planned for, for this year. So that re-evaluation of the, the micro goals, because we can get easily so busy with those things which don't take you anywhere, right? And I just found this to be very effective for me. I do it maybe too often, but I didn't find anything better than just uh, really take my time to, to always take a step back and, and zoom, up, zoom out. So I put my, my annual, I have my OKRs for the business and I have my OKRs for my personal life. And I have a task on Asana because I use Asana for my personal life uh, that comes out every day. So every, every morning to read my OKRs for the year and the quarter is my daily task. So it's like a constant reminding you like, okay, wh where this is going. So I just really, uh, maybe it's an overkill, but I, I really pay attention to it because I've learned that I have... I have a problem of getting distracted by too many things, uh, having problem with saying no, because there's so many cool things that you can do. You, um, So um, I, I'm really paying attention to this. And then I, I guess it has helped me lately. <laughs> no, I mean, it is. Now, don't get Michael started. He might argue if you're a sauna, Michael's a bit of a click up um, fan. He's probably their biggest fan right now. He talks to the CEO on a regular basis. Okay. He's, he, he's huge into ClickUp. <laughs> I, I am a big ClickUp fan, but we don't have to go into that now. What I am interested in is you say you don't want to make this about self-help and productivity, but it seems like you've built yourself a pretty interesting personal productivity system, especially bringing over OKRs, a traditionally and specifically business developed planning planning process into your personal life. I guess the question I want to ask is, how separate do you view your business and personal life? And we've spent a lot of talk time talking about one venture, but do you view any major difference between that primary motive and other side projects or investments you've made or are still making? So um, the, the, the borderline between business and personal life was non-existent, uh, I guess, until like a year ago. Um, and I guess that was the stage in life when it was like, okay, because uh, you had so, energy, so much energy, you were younger and so on and so on. 
and and the older I am, the more the 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 border, the higher the wall is. Um, I think when I went on a short holiday a couple of weeks ago, I think that was the first time when I actually turned off my phone. Like this never happened because <laughs> I see that that off time really, really, uh, really valuable. However, I don't believe in a concept of work-life balance. Everything has to be really designed. There's no thing that's compromised. You either align your personal goals with your work goals or not. I don't believe there's a, there, there's a compromise. And the second question, if you could just um, elaborate yeah, more. Again. So I know there's no way the only thing you're doing right now are the, the solar roofs. And I'm wondering how, how you look at your split because it seems like you always have had that one main focus, but then you've got a whole bunch of little ones off to the side. Yes, there's, there's so many of them and, and the opportunities come in and you don't want to shut down yourself completely simply because you want to know what's going on and, and you never know what can be done. So obviously I have the foundation. I still have some speaking engagements regarding my book. I still have a couple of small investments which are kind of there and require some time. I think that, that what I've built is I've built a Chinese wall when it comes to my creativity time, my energy time, which is I will never look at anything else than my main business. For example, earlier than 6 p.m. or uh, other day than Saturday because I've noticed that it just steals my creative energy. If I have free business in my head because I just replied one email about business A, the second email is about business B and third email is about business C, I'm totally all over the place and there's nothing meaningful happening in my head. Um, so I had to build those silos in terms of my focus. So there's this small investment, but I only look at it on a Thursday from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. And unless it's an emergency, I will, I will, I'll never look at it earlier. So I had to really guard my creativity energy because it was a killer of my, uh, of my efficiency. I think that just made this a million-dollar interview for me because that, at least in my mind, that was like, if you've ever played Tetris, that's the four-by-one block that I needed to get a Tetris. <laughs> Yep. This one, yeah. <laughs> that, okay, I'm glad that you that, that you, you took out something from there. Yeah, but that that's been very 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 helpful for me. That I just in my calendar, like I for example have a, although I have nothing planned, like from eight to five, it just says sunroof. So this is the time where I'm only looking at sunroof, and I and I control my creativity, focus, and energy into projects because there is nothing worse than having to switch between projects and businesses within a shorter time frame because I believe that there's a cost of switching which happens in your brain. That's really interesting because I've started doing the uh, strategic coach which is this old coaching program and they're very much about entrepreneur time zone where you're blocking you know it's a variation of time blocking but by day. And I very much like that concept you just said. It's like anything that's not core, you know, you allocate for it, but you put it off. It's your core thing that gets your main focus, your main energy. And then, then you go off from it. Uh, I think I even remember 
Tim Ferriss mentioned this somewhere. I remember this metaphor he used. It's like with, with laundry. Like you're not going to do a laundry of one pair of socks. Yeah, Like you want to yeah, wait until you work. build something more and then you do the laundry. Simply because, yeah, yeah, batching work. Yeah, So uh, I, I took that and extrapolated this also in terms of time, not only time, but also cost of switching of your energy and creativity and focusing. It seems you steal cool ideas from a lot of different areas and make them yours. No, and that, that's a very cool thing. I only thing. steal from the best, um, like Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> Is that something that has gotten easier for you as you've gone, you know, done this more as an entrepreneur? Stealing different ideas and then making them more work for you mm-hmm. versus early on? It's a process I, I really pay attention to because also – I have the habit of of listening to a lot of podcasts, um, which was a great change for me because I I always turn on podcasts whenever I run or work out uh, or before going to sleep. I actually fall asleep to podcasts. So, for example, there are certain podcasts when I hear them, I want to go to sleep Im- immediately. Uh, so, so many times I would have to listen to them three times because I just fell asleep uh, in the middle. Um, and I carefully choose the people I listen the podcast too uh be, and i choose those ones who invite very interesting guests from variety of fields and i consider the conversation usually book authors right or some people that do something interesting when i like the conversation of the person i would add that book into my reading list so many times from a two-hour conversation you can get the, the you know the, the the juicy things uh, the main thought of the book, which is interesting in itself. And sometimes it's enough and you don't want to explore the book anymore, but sometimes it's interesting to the extent that you don't want to spend additional 10 hours to, uh, to, to listen to the, uh, uh, to the book, but it's, you have to choose your podcasters carefully because in a way you just become tied to their, their, their size of the brain and their, their size of their interests levels. Yeah. So it, it, you don't want to, just you don't want to end up having another Facebook and you know you know the problem of machine learning in Facebook right they're just going to serve you more content of what you already like and your focus is narrowed so you, you want to counter that with choosing uh, your podcasters wisely I even had a remember there was a startup that the goal was to have a web browser add-on that would serve you content which is the contrary to what you just read and liked it's like, oh, you like this, so maybe you should now listen to the other story, right? Because the problem of confirmation bias and that uh, opinion uh, silo chamber was was getting bigger and bigger problem. So, logical next question: What's the most interesting podcast you listen to, and what's the one that most frequently puts you to sleep? <laughs> Besides Beyond Eight Figures, right? Uh, yes, <laughs> that's the most interesting, obviously. <laughs> So, um, because of, you know, my life is so much about business. First of all, I pay attention to, to knowledge from other areas of life. I used to be very interested in global politics and the dynamics and sociology, et cetera. But at some point I've decided maybe it's a waste of energy because uh, (laughs) I kind of lost some hope in humanity, but that's just a joke. Uh, I do listen to a couple of uh, health podcasts. There's one uh, very interesting uh, run by Rhonda Patrick, which is a, she's a PhD in medicine doctor. She's interesting, interesting people, inviting interesting people. Usually I would then read a book of the person she invites. 
And then also on the health health part, there's Peter Atia, uh, another medicine doctor that uh, started doing a podcast recently. And then on the health side is Ben Greenfield, which is a crazy biohacker that just tries everything on himself. So I kind of uh, take it on a, with a pinch of salt. Uh, let's just say that I apply 20% of what's been, what's been talked out there. But again, it really increases my uh, my horizon and opens the door to to understanding what your health better. Uh, on the business side slash science, I listen to Lex Friedman podcasts. He's a MIT researcher having great conversations. I absolutely love Joe Rogan simply because of how I wouldn't call it anti-mainstream anymore, but simply because of how I consider him a genuine and, and a person that doesn't give a shit about sweet things that are happening. And it's just a great interviewer. Uh, I love how he manages the different interviewers. And he's just, a, he asks great questions. And I, I consider this as a skill that he has naturally acquired. There's also a podcast called How I Build It by Guy Ross, uh, because it's a great breakdown of some... Um, some great entrepreneurs, successful CEOs, and uh, I love how he's the questions he's asking and how how deep he can sometimes go with people. And I believe he's an ex-journalist and he's been pretty successful there. He has a certain position in life that he's not scared of asking certain questions that other podcasters probably would hesitate to ask uh, simply because they're just not not there yet. So so I I, I love that. So I guess these are the. Uh, the main ones that I listen to. Totally different topic. I really am interested to know what country has been the easiest to do business in? I love doing business in South Africa for a couple of reasons. Um, South Africa is like Netherlands and Nigeria put together into one country, right? Because it's a country with a very complicated and painful history where the where the slavery really is still alive outside there because it's it's just such a fresh history. Uh, but it's a combination of a third world country potential because of 60 million people and and there's still so much growth that needs to happen, just like it needs to happen in any emerging economy. But at the same time, you have that probably one of very few positive results of apartheid, which is a, a proper infrastructure uh, a justice system working more or less, right? The highways, internet is there and so on. So you have that minimum infrastructure needed to build on top of that that potential typical for a emerging market of an African continent. And uh, and I also consider the, the culture of South African people being a melting pot of Europeans and Indians and indigenous Africans. They just are very open people. A little bit like, I think, Probably the culture that, you know, the typical Aussie of a guy from Australia, right? Like super funny, open, usually this funny videos from YouTube. Um, so Australians are maybe not like that, but still somewhere on the spectrum of being open and, and, and funny and, and, and easy to business with, uh, easier to do business with to some extent, right? Because again, it's, it's, uh, it's you have still have to consider Africa as a, as a tough, tough business to work, to, to, to be, to be in. I found myself relatively, it was easy for me to build relationships because um, I found that Polish people with Polish culture of drinking vodka and going to church and, you know, being, being informal in, in many situations, that culture, that, that upbringing helped me a lot 
in Nigeria, but helped me even more in, in, in South Africa. And then you have to address the elephant in the room. Obviously, I'm a European guy, so I have that certain level of white privilege that I, whether I like it or not, I, I build on, right? Because uh, if, you're an, if you're a European investor, you're going to be treated in a certain way, simply because of all that PR and a stereotype that comes with it whether you like it or not. It definitely works in my favor in certain cases. Not always. I guess my book is also a good example that sometimes it can work against you. But I guess I, I really liked South Africa because of that combination of the first world infrastructure that is needed and, and the third world country potential. Um, that craziness mixed with, with order because Europe for me is a little bit too much order. <laughs> uh, as some certain African countries, a little bit too much craziness. Uh, and I found a, ni- a nice balance in South Africa for me personally. Do you plan on going back or where would you go now? You're in the DR now. If it wasn't for COVID, I would spend three weeks a month uh, traveling uh, and I would divide my time between mainly Cape Town and uh, Barcelona. Uh, And then I would uh, frequently visit uh, Warsaw uh, because I'm Polish and and we we have an HQ there Uh, and Nigeria and Kenya, which are, uh, South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya were always my three biggest countries where I still have my, my company there, the, the, the marketing agency. So I have to sometimes, you know, ch- check up what's happening there. <laughs> but looking at where I am right now, my, my plans personal wise and, and, and work wise, I really like Dominican Republic as my base because um, logistically it's like still close to US market, which we're looking at ex- expanding into. There is a direct flight twice per day to Spain, where where with the you know European part of our solar business. And while I'm in Spain, there's also a good connection then to uh, to, to Cape Town. Yeah. The problem is the is the is the time time barrier because if I'm now I'm juggling two two time zones. Uh, but I really like Dominican Republic because for me as an entrepreneur that works into online business and now solar, again I see the combination of Two of, two of best worlds because where I am right now, I have a 5G and I have fiber optic, optics network. You would, you would not probably know, right? Dominican Republic is a big economy in itself. There's even a metro in the, in, the, in the capital, right? And you can live in a place where you have five minutes to the sea, to the ocean, but you get into your car and in two hours you are in the mountain mountains where it snows in, in the winter. No one really knows about it. And the highest mountain here is even taller than the mountain in Poland, where I was born, which is considered the country of mountains. So again, you have a little bit of everything. It's like a like a world in on an, on a one island because the volcanic islands have this thing that they have different climates because of the altitude changes. So if you have the nature and you have the proper infrastructure, I'm talking about internet, regular flights, thanks to the tourism industry. I would always take advantage of Cape Town being and South Africa being a touristic country. And I would always fly the, you know, the touristic many times charter flights. And I would look so weird because I was the, sometimes I would come back from a business meeting. So I'm entering a flight in my, you know, sometimes even suit. <laughs> and I'm sitting next to people in shorts, you know, going on vacation, but I take advantage of that. So I do pay a lot of attention to uh, leaving or doing business in a nice place, which is again, what I love South Africa, because life gives you so many challenges. <laughs> At least you want to deal with them in a, you know, in a, with a nice view because they're going to be there anyway. Right. So why, why not 
why not deal with them in a nicer place? That's always important for me. Good weather and a bottle of wine does make a lot of things easier. Oh, so much better. So much easier. <laughs> Minus COVID, that was the whole reason for for living in southern Spain. They, you know, there's so much transportation here for tourism. Exactly. I can get anywhere in the world pretty quickly. Yeah, and other than today when it's raining, I'm looking at the Mediterranean and it's blue and sunny. It's yeah, a beautiful region. Yeah. Fun. Yeah, and that's part of why we do this. What is success to you and how does that change how has it changed? So let me go back to why I went into entrepreneurship, because I figured it's gonna give me that level of excitement of competing. I was never good at sports. Uh, but I needed that excitement of winning and the entrepreneurship gives you that. I like to work alone. I was never good in teamworks. I thought being an entrepreneur can give me that, but that was a bullshit. I just didn't know that it's, it's, at the end of the year, I was going to end up in a team. And I really cared about that freedom. You know, I, I think I write about this in the book. If I bought something online and, and the e-commerce store tells me that my passport has to have eight figures and one capital letter and one special sign, and one digit, I'm like, screw you. I'm not going to, you're not going to tell me what my password is. So I really valued that. And I thought that that entrepreneurship will give you that. And it's not really the entrepreneurship that gives you the freedom. It's just the level of safety that you have. And safety in the world we live in is really related to the amount of money that you have, right? At a certain level, you just feel safe. For me, success is most importantly tied to my freedom. Uh, I don't know whether it was my upbringing, whether I was so un- upset when my teachers in school told me to do something I didn't want to. My mom was always forcing me to learn. I really, really was rebelling a lot. And I really needed to make enough money to have, I don't know if you said that earlier, AJ, to have that fuck you money, right? <laughs> and that's, for me, that's the the first thing that you got to have because everything comes after it. As soon as you have that fuck you money, which gives you a certain level of stability, freedom, safety, however you're going to call it, that was at the bottom of my Maslow pyramid, the, 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 the fuck you money, right? And, and then I would guess, I wouldn't consider myself a person that likes material things too much. I really don't spend much money on clothing or I don't even own a car uh, right now. Uh, so I don't spend much much money on things like this. But it's cool to to live in a way that you don't have to look at price tags of things you buy, right? I think I, I guess I would look at price tag when I buy a house or a car, but food or travel or, or just, you know, clothing or a gift for your loved ones. I mean, it's just, that's what, what life is all about. So that's, that's super important for me. Uh, and then I would look at, okay, am I doing something nice? Because I'm scared of realizing when I'm 50 that, oh my God, I just, what, what's the point? Like I just spent most of my life and I'm not even happy with what I'm doing. I even did a couple of ayahuasca uh, ceremonies to kind of make sure that my internal self is in line with my external self. Uh, and, and that's where, 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 why I'm in Africa and that's why I'm in solar because I was able to quantify that positive effect uh, on, on, on my environment. Yeah, I'm, check, I have the, I, I'm making the money, I think. I am living the way I like it. I'm doing things I like. Uh, I'm talking about what I'm getting involved in, what's my responsibility in the company. I don't have to look at Excel. My partners do that, and I love that. But then what's out there? And in Africa, I was able to quantify the positive result by 
having a small part in building the economy uh, as doesn't matter how cheesy it sounds. And now in the solar, there's this carbon footprint, which I consider as a quantification of your positive result. And that's like the top of the muscle pyramid for me. I think how you fuse your different experiences that kind of make that success. I know like that first time when you start making money and you're not worried about going out or doing that, that is definitely cool. But then that deeper sense of what you're doing, that takes work, I think, for a lot of us. So it's very cool that you've used it that way. If you were going to write a letter to yourself and it was yourself from, let's say, 10 years ago, but if you want to go back further, you can, and you could only give yourself one message in that letter, what would you, what message would you send yourself? It really ties to what started our conversation, which is that long-term commitment. Um, I guess I would say that starting later many times means finishing faster. Because <laughs> uh, it, it all ties to, I wanted to do too many things too fast, too soon, then change. Because I felt like I'm missing out. I had this FOMO always in my head. And if, you, if your FOMO is fear of missing out is controlling you, then you're going to end up not doing anything because all you focus on is switching. And um, I would just write myself that uh, uh, just slow down. You're going to start later, but you will probably finish faster because you will start with uh, way more experience in your baggage and you're going to make less mistakes and so on and so on. Not sure if this will work, <laughs> even if I receive that letter, because there are certain mistakes you have to make <laughs> on your own. <laughs> but I would probably write that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mar. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. And, you know, I have all these notes. Definitely going to be pulling stuff out from this. I know our listeners will, and I know I will, you know, learn a lot out of this and things to play with. I'm not going to copy you, but I'm definitely going to steal some of the things. That was good. So thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Wow, that was a great episode. It was terrific to have this conversation. Um, so interesting to be able to sit down with someone who is so incredibly unique. Thank you so much, and thank you guys for being here, for joining our conversation today. If you want to connect with Marek, find more information about Solar Roof or his best-selling book, Chasing Black Unicorns, look in the show notes below, and we'll have all that great stuff. In the meantime, if you want to connect with me, you can find my social media and website also in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to Beyond Eight Figures newsletter and be the first one to know about all the cool stuff we have coming up. Hey, thank you again for listening, and I can't wait to be back and talking with you soon. Ciao. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.